The first reading is from uh, the book of Revelation. If you would like to follow that uh, either on the service sheet on page 5 or in the Bible, it's on page 1,241. So it's a reading from Revelation chapter 12, starting at verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. This is the word of the Lord. Our Gospel reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 to 28, and can be found on page 1002 in our church Bibles. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even orders the impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Pray that we would be open to hearing the Holy Spirit this morning, that our hearts and minds would be ready to receive Jesus. Amen. So, Do you know, sometimes I read the passages that are set and I think, what on earth is this about? (laughs) I'm left completely clueless. How is this speaking to us today? Women and seven-headed dragons, demons shouting at Jesus, what on earth is going on? I also want to share with you that I actually, for the first time, I think, in my entire life, have a three-point sermon. So I'm quite impressed with that. So I did pictures because I thought I can, I can do this. So the first point is, evil exists. 
The second point, evil opposes God's kingdom. And the third point, so what? What is there in these passages for us in Southcote today? I'm going to look at both passages, so it's well worth having them open in front of you, either in your service sheets, where they're on pages five or six, or in your Bibles, pages 1241 and 1002. So, evil exists. The first clue, I think, to unpacking this is about evil. Both our passages seem to be in no doubt that evil exists. I know that some of you are probably thinking that evil is just an excuse for people behaving badly or a cop-out and explaining why horrible disasters happen. And certainly, it can be just a lazy way to explain and excuse things that are neither easy to explain or for which there should be no excuse. I am not one for seeing seeing demons behind every bush. And it does seem to me that there are people who simply make bad choices and there are consequences to their choices, sometimes for other innocent people. However, you really cannot go far in reading the Bible, or I think in the world, without coming across the reality of evil. It is one thing to believe in God and in Jesus, but to believe in the devil devil sometimes seems to be a step too far for some. I'm not talking about a funny horned creature with a forked tail, but I am talking about something that would work to prevent God's kingdom from taking hold on earth. Something that destroys creation and people and healthy relationships. Jesus, however, had no difficulty in believing the devil. He certainly took evil seriously, as did Paul and all the apostles. And here in Mark, we have a good example of Jesus confronting evil directly. In the Revelation reading, we have a depiction of a cosmic battle, elemental forces locked in opposition to one another. But look closer And you see that evil, although present and seemingly threatening, has no opportunity to win. The child, we're told in verse 5, is saved from the dragon. There is a bigger picture being presented here of the child who will rule, one snatched up to God, who is easily interpreted as Jesus. The woman is a more difficult picture to understand. Some commentators agree that this woman is a representation of the priestly kingdom, the holy nation that we're told about in Exodus 19.6, where Moses received the great commission from God on Mount Sinai and was told, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And one Peter takes up this theme in describing God's people as set apart to do God's will. The woman here represents the whole story of God's people, chosen to carry forward his plans for the whole of creation. That is why the sun and the stars form her robe, footstool and crown, as we see in verse 1. She is a representation of God's holy people. Yes, you and me. 
We are involved in the battle to oppose evil and to bring forward Christ's kingdom. The ultimate goal of evil is to oppose and destroy God's kingdom. And evil will want you to believe that there is nothing that you can do to oppose it. That there is inevitability in evil winning. Become complacent and evil has already won. But there are some notable people that wouldn't agree. The world will not be destroyed by those that do evil, but by those who watch them without doing anything. That was Albert Einstein. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And that was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Edmund Burke famously said, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. As we've already seen, we are God's people. Think back to the woman in Revelation. 1 Peter talks about us being set apart to do God's will. And Jesus has the ultimate authority. Because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, he has conquered death and evil. And he certainly wasn't silence in the face of evil. But don't run away with the idea that because Jesus has won, conquering evil is an easy thing. The woman cries in agony as she gives birth, we're told in verse 2. There is pain and difficulty in standing up and confronting evil and in bringing into being God's kingdom. There can be little doubt that there was evil in Nazi Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer dared to stand up and to oppose it. He paid, ultimately, with his life, weeks before the end of the war. The black and coloured segregation in America, the apartheid system in South Africa, slavery, are all situations where evil seems to triumph. It takes people of prayer and faith to stand up and to confront it. And we have those examples in Martin Luther King, Archbishop Tutu, Nelson Mandela. They all paid a heavy price, but they were instrumental in bringing God's kingdom forward. They knew that the devil was never going to win. So what have these eminent people and a strange woman in Revelation got to do with us? Look a little closer to our gospel passage. See what Jesus did. There he was, preaching, and all of a sudden, a disturbance. Firstly, he recognized evil. He named it for what it was. I think that if it had been me preaching, I might well have hoped that if there was a disturbance, the sides people or the wardens would deal with it, usher the person outside, and we could carry on with the important business of worship. 
But Jesus sees this as at the heart of why he came. The freeing of prisoners is at the heart of God's kingdom, at the heart of worship, at the heart of our Bible. Jesus was not afraid of what was happening in front of him. He named it and he acted. Sometimes we can be too timid, too afraid to act, too polite even. We forget that Jesus has won, that there is no place for the devil in the kingdom of God. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Jesus acted. As Pads told us in his talk two weeks ago, Jesus has the ultimate authority. This must have been life-changing, not only for the poor man involved, but for the other people there. Sometimes this is our challenge. Do we allow this life and work of Jesus to change us? Do we respond to his love with action? Or do we think, well, that was okay for him, but it's really not my thing? Most of us here today have not come to know the power of Jesus' healing and redemption through a wonderful sunny holiday or a time of blessing, but rather through something that has brought us to our knees God rarely enters our hearts through the doors we have left open invitingly, but he comes through the cracks rendered to hearts through some hardship or difficult relationship or a traumatic experience. We need to find Jesus and ask what he is saying when we encounter difficulty. We have no need to be afraid of evil. Some of you already know I had two selection conferences for my um, selection as to become a priest in the Church of England. The first was a pretty disastrous affair. Um, the report came, and if, if I say they failed me on eight of the nine categories, it was, it was devastating. I went from someone who was confident and happy up at the front of the church to someone who was weeping in a heap at the back, hoping nobody would notice me. They said I had no leadership potential. I had no understanding of mission or evangelism. I had a huge issue with authority. That might have been a little bit, little bit right. Um, but it was, it was devastating. And people were lovely. People came and said, poor you, Carol, this is wrong, this is awful. Even Bishop Stephen Cottrell rang me and said, I don't believe this report. It, it really was. My DDO held it up and said, this is one of the worst reports I've ever seen in my entire career. It, it, was, it destroyed me, actually, for a while. And then I went and I saw my spiritual director, who's an amazing woman, and she didn't sympathise. She said, well, Carol, what is it Jesus is showing you through this report? How is it he wants you to change? What is the challenge of the gospel in this report? Now, I am not meaning to imply that all Church of England selectors are evil. They're not. They're not. Although there may be some ordinance who think possibly it might be. Um, I need to tell you that my second bat, I have to say, was a much better experience, a really healing experience. 
But actually, my spiritual director was right. It's often in our vulnerability, our poverty, our brokenness, that we find new ways to find God, or we relearn our need to rely on God in all things. And that reliance will give us the faith, faith to confront evil. So how did Jesus respond to this man who was interrupting him? And this, for me, is one of the most amazing things. He reacted with love, with grace, and with compassion. Jesus came to heal, not to condemn. And how did he do this? How did he have the insights to know what was happening? And how did he have the ability? Well, one word. Prayer. Prayer. And more prayer. Jesus frequently disappeared off to pray. He knew what his heavenly father was telling him because he spent time with him allowing God to mould and to shape him. Jesus told us to go and do likewise, and we can only do that through prayer. I've been struck by a book by Cara Tippetts recently. She's a mother of four young children, and she's diagnosed with terminal cancer. Now, going into print when things are difficult, even when dying, is a brave thing, but many seem to do it. Linda Bellingham, Lisa Genova, Philip Gould, to name just a few. Their stories are heartbreaking and difficult. But the difference with Cara Tippetts is she is asking what God is saying where she is. Not just for her, but for others. In her illness, she is reaching out to pass on the message of God's love and God's grace. She has faced the hard knocks and found freedom to be the person God made her to be and is spreading a message of salvation to as many as possible before she goes home. The challenge of these passages is to wait on God, to invite Jesus into the situation where we are and ask what it is he wants us to do, and then to be prepared to go and do it. For most of us, it won't be earth-changing. Most of us aren't Mandelas or Tippets. But each of us has a part to play where we are, in the mundane and in the ordinary, at work, in conversation with others, at the toddler group, or wherever it is. We're all called to be part of bringing Jesus' kingdom to bear. And maybe one of the ways we can start bringing Jesus' kingdom here on earth is through Home for Good. Healing a broken world can start with us. And one way to show the love and grace of God is through fostering and adoption. Now, I know that the time is not right for Mark and I to look into fostering. But I can pray. I can offer to help with shopping or in other ways to those that may be able to offer homes. We can support each other as a community to start healing our world and our children. When the church learns to speak and act 
with the same authority as Jesus, we will find the saving power of God unleashed, as well as a heightened position from the forces of darkness. The demons knew Jesus and knew he had come to defeat them once and for all. Since Calvary, their noise has no authority. To believe this is the key to Christian testimony and saving action in the world, that despite its despair, has already been claimed by the loving authority of God in Jesus. And it all begins with us on our knees in prayer. Amen.